Hi there. Welcome to the From Lab to Launch podcast by Qualio, where we share inspiring stories from the people on the front lines of life sciences. Tune in and leave inspired to bring your life-saving products to the world. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us on From Lab to Launch today. I'm Kelly from Qualio, and it's my pleasure to be your host and introduce you to these innovators in life sciences. If you haven't already, please subscribe and give us a review on Apple or Spotify. We'd love that. And if you want to be on the show, please see the application linked in the show notes. We've had a lot of people reach out, and it's been our pleasure to connect with you. Today, we have Diego Ray on the show. Diego is a co-founder and chief scientific officer of Endpoint Health which is flipping the traditional drug development model on its head with a precision medicine approach. In the past, biopharma companies would start with a molecule and then see where it can be used. Endpoint thinks differently. They're using deep patient insight from the patient's biology, molecules, digital patient data, and the latest in AI technology to create precision-first therapies. Pretty cool and unique approach, especially for those who have traditionally been overlooked by generic drugs. More information on Diego and Endpoint in the show notes as well is in the show notes, as well as a link to their current pipeline. We're excited to have Diego on to talk more about their approach, the future of precision medicine, and his inaugural work with Y Combinator's life sciences startups. Let's bring him in. Hi, Diego. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, it's been great to be here. Thanks, thanks for having me. Absolutely. We love hearing how people found their way into life sciences. Give us an overview of your path to where you are now. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I'll go way back to my undergrad days. I I studied actually electrical engineering. So that in the life sciences originally, it started off as an engineer and I was at UC Santa Barbara. And while I was at UCSB, I did some summer research at Cornell that landed me in the Cornell nanofabrication facility. And so one of the things that was happening at the time, these are the days where nanotech was all the rage, uh, just coming coming about. And then the, um, you know, when you're building things at, at those small scales, you can uh, interact with biological systems at that scale. And so that's uh, that was my, my entry into the life sciences was that link between engineering and uh, using the tools we were building to interact with biological systems, so cells, molecules, and so on. And then fast forward, I ended up applying to a PhD program in biomedical engineering. So I made the switch from the, they used to say the hard sciences to the squishy sciences, life sciences in my PhD. So I ended up at Cornell doing a PhD in biomedical engineering. I got a master's and PhD there with the minor in uh, biophysics and uh, another one in applied engineering physics. Uh, so the really combination of the engineering side of things and, and then the life sciences. And so that's how I uh, uh, got into the... So walk us through how Endpoint's patient-first approach works. Yeah, so our precision-first approach, the way, so the way that this works is that we, you know, when we started the company, we decided, as you described uh, in the intro, to take a patient data-first approach as opposed to a molecule-first approach. And so what, what, we, what we mean by that is that rather than starting with a molecule and, and seeing in what diseases we may, we may be able to develop that molecule in, we start with no molecule and only start with the patient data within a given disease with a key hypothesis that by better understanding the patient biology within a disease, we may find unique therapeutic need within subgroups within that disease where we may expect... Uh, better outcomes in the patients, essentially. And so we work with gene expression data from peripheral whole blood, as well as electronic health record data as well. 
And in both of those cases, we take an approach where we first start with just looking at that data in and of itself, not taking into account any biological information or clinical information, and just look for patterns in that data. So this is an unsupervised machine learning technique where we look for groups of patients that may look similar just in terms of, for example, their gene expression or their electronic health record variables. And then once we find those groups that pattern, that that group together, uh, then we ask the question of what are the biological characteristics of each of those groups and do they have clinical utility? And in taking that approach, what we found is that within syndromes and diseases, we, we do indeed see these clusters of patients that are biologically distinct from each other. And just looking at the, those biological characteristics, it seems very clear to us that they need different therapeutic approaches in order to address the, the their particular need. And, and so that's what then leads us to the right molecules. And we use that information to develop molecules. And part of our model is that although we can use that information to develop new molecules from scratch, we actually have found several candidate therapies that are already developed that we've actually worked to in license. And with this approach, hopefully get these therapies to patients much more quickly. Fascinating. How does that, you know, a typical clinical trial approach, you know, the the enrollment can be kind of staggered. So in, in this case, then, is there an impact, I guess, on the trial from, because from, you would want to have lots of patients enrolled up front, I would think, to gather those bits of information and do the data aggregation, as you've described. Does that change the clinical trial timelines then? It does. Yeah, it actually has a pretty dramatic effect. Once we've actually identified these subgroups prior to running the trial, when we run the trial, we use a diagnostic test that identifies the specific subgroup to enroll those specific patients. And so it's although it's a subset of the overall patient population you would have enrolled, what we found is that the improvement in the, in the outcome, the effect size, is dramatically higher than it would be in that unstratified cohort. And so the net effect is actually shorter, faster, and less expensive trials because we need to power the trial to show a a much larger effect than we would otherwise. And so even though we're enrolling fewer patients technically or a subset of the patients with using a diagnostic to identify the patients, the trial actually is is, uh, shorter and with fewer patients at the end of the day. Nice, nice. Yeah, and and that would definitely, when you're, Trying to figure out this work for some and not for others. If you don't take those things into account, that's not as, it's not visible. You, you kind of, right? Like you wouldn't see some of that cohort grouping or subcohort grouping. You, you would have to back those groups out and reanalyze your data, I guess, if things aren't meeting endpoints. And that, that's, that's really powerful information to have up front. <laughs> wow. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Nice. Endpoints pipeline page mentions addressing the unmet need in immune-driven illnesses. What's the size of the unmet need you're, you're focusing on? Yeah, so we focus in two areas broadly in immunology, whenever the immune system is the culprit, essentially, and that's in critical care, as well as chronic inflammatory diseases. And in critical care, even before the pandemic, a syndrome like sepsis, which is the body's dysregulated immune response due to an infection was uh, uh, responsible, responsible for one in five deaths globally. Uh, and during the pandemic, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the patients who died with COVID had about 90% of them had ARDS and sepsis as well. So I uh, really highlighted uh, the particular need for these uh, addressing these syndromes. And today there are really no therapies approved 
that are targeting the dysregulated immune response. And we believe it's because of this heterogeneity uh, in these patients that you need to actually stratify the patients into these different biologically defined groups in order to target specific therapies for each of the, the specific needs. So that's in critical care. And in chronic inflammatory diseases, in many cases, less than 50% of the patients who receive the therapies are responding to those therapies. Uh, and there we have a similar hypothesis that if, because there's this biological heterogeneity. And so if we can address that, maybe we can expect that, uh, a better response to these therapies. I love the idea of really cleaning up and targeting the the therapies too. You know, I think people have this sort of broad expectation that any drug I take is going to work no matter what. And then they're incredibly disappointed when it doesn't. But, you know, biology is not. <laughs> right. Right. It's biology. And so I, I love that you call it squishy science because it absolutely is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With so much unmet need out there, though, how are you guys deciding on what treatments to focus on first? Yeah, so it's a combination of that need and also where we think this approach will have the uh, biggest impact. So the approach that thing shines when it's a difficult area to develop therapies in, uh, when there is that heterogeneity, right? And so sepsis is a prime example of that, right? That's uh, it's an area with very limited clinical trial success in the past. And in chronic inflammatory diseases, there's also areas where we think that there may be more or less heterogeneity. So I think it's a combination of those two things. It's where is it needed most? And where, so therefore, where, where could be uh, make an impact? And, and where, where would, would this approach particularly be, particularly be well-suited? How do you see Endpoint and this technology evolving in the coming years? Yeah, so, so right now, we're, we've very recently in-licensed a, our first molecule, antitrimin 3 from a company called Griffles. Uh, this is, uh, we're taking it directly into a phase two trial, given its uh, history in the past in, the, in this patient population. So we're in the midst of our clinical development program, but presuming clinical success in the, in the future, what we envision is a situation where even after commercializing the therapies and getting these to patients, that we'll continue to learn in the process and we'll be able to gain new insights into, into patient biology in the use of these therapies and maybe able to identify maybe further subgroups and refine the groups uh, of patients that we're identifying in order to achieve even better response rates, perhaps. And so we're, we're envisioning this a, a future where the, the therapies are, are developed and we continue to actually learn more and more about patient biology in, in order to develop even maybe new therapy for, for additional groups that we might, we might encounter in the real world that maybe our own therapies aren't actually addressing very well. And that will be the source of, of new cohorts for, for new therapeutics development. We have a lot of startup founders who follow our show. What lessons did you learn from working with the folks at Y Combinator that might be useful for other founders? Yeah, sure. So at YC, I came in as the Y Combinator's first life sciences visiting partner. But, you know, even, even before joining Y Combinator, by the time I showed up, they already had over 140 life sciences companies in their portfolio. Uh, and they had a, a really great set of folks who, with life sciences experience, that was helping YC as part-time partners and, uh, and mentoring founders in the process. And so I came in to, to help in, in, that, in that effort. And one of the things that, you know, really noticed is that, you know, this day and age, and this is one of the motivations for starting Endpoint as well, is that there's so many enabling technologies out there that have matured over the years, you know, being able to uh, generate data from, from patient specimens and better understand their biology, making sense of the data with machine learning techniques, and even be able to utilize diagnostics approaches 
that again have matured and are more off the shelf now and, and can be translated into, into practice more readily. And so putting this all together, I think it really lowers the barrier to, to entry to do new work in these fields. I think it opens the door for, for potential founders who maybe didn't come from a life sciences background or, or at least a life sciences industry background into the field. And I think it's a source of diversity really in our field that when you, when you combine those new perspectives with the well-established best practices and expertise that's been developed over the year, that combination of the two, I think is, is really powerful. And so it's going to lead to a lot of innovations and at the end of the day, better options for, for patients. And so the, the, the long story short for me is that I think more people should be starting companies. It's a good thing for the world. Definitely. Definitely. Well, and I, I love your, your, your story where, you know, you started in electrical mechanical engineering types and have moved over to life sciences. You know, I, I've been in life sciences now myself over 20 years, and I've worked with people from a variety of backgrounds. And I just think the variety of perspectives is what makes it, makes it so dynamic. We didn't ask you about how Endpoint got started. Can you tell us the founding story behind Endpoint then? Sure. Yeah. So I mentioned I was the UCSB undergrad and PhD in biomedical engineering at Cornell. And maybe uh, the the story that led to the story of Endpoint. So while at uh, Cornell, along with two other co-founders, Jason Springs and Leonardo Teixeira, who's a lab mate of mine, and Jason was doing his MBA, we started our first company called Genewee Biosciences. And so we uh, grew that company up uh, with the classic venture path of series seed, A and B rounds of financing. There we were developing tests for detecting and identifying bacteria and guiding into biotic therapy in hospitalized patients. That company was acquired by Roche in 2015. And then I joined Roche as head of research for our division in the GeneWeave division of Roche. And it's the, and then the, the company, many of its employees and technology uh, still at Roche and being developed. Our first product has since gone through FDA authorization uh, and it's now part of the Roche Covas product line. And so, but then after Roche, uh, what led to, to Endpoint Health was we got the, the, the same co-founders from Gene back together. And, um, and one of the insights that we had was that we were, we were thinking essentially a bit of a thought experiment of, you know, what if we started a company like Roche today from scratch? What might we do differently? And it gets back actually to the, your question about, about Y Combinator and, and some of the lessons learned. You know, the, the, the key insight that we had was that, well, the world is very different today uh, than it was when it, in 1896, when a company like Roche was started, and as an example, you know, these enabling technologies, uh, again, are, are one of those key differences. And so if we started a company like Roche today that was going to be developing therapies and commercializing them, we would start with data first, as opposed to the, the molecule approach. And we, we covered that earlier. And, and so the, that's what, that, that thought experiment is what led to, to, to Endpoint Health and, and where we're at today. Um, on a more personal note, if you could go back and tell yourself something at the start of your career. What would that be? Yeah, I think you know the, the biggest difference. This is this you know so second time around. Have the you know fortunate to have the experience of going through building a first company, Geneweave, and now Endpoint as a as a second company. And the biggest difference between then and now is actually a psychological one. It's uh, it's one that you know both times are are hard. Maybe even uh, you know just as hard or even harder now the second time around because our vision is actually so much bigger in with it with Endpoint Health. But the, and so it's, it was less about kind of the, um, the, the work involved and the challenges and, and the, the biggest lesson learned is more about 
what realizing what's important and what's maybe less important, what to worry about, what not to worry about so much. And and the the effect of that is really actually that one of a of a psychological effect that allows you to focus more on what really matters and what's important and and not so much on on what might not be. So that that was that's been one of the one of the biggest lessons. The I think at the at the same time we you know we do go through a lot of challenges. And so one of the things that I think it, it was a lesson learned. But actually, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go back and tell myself this lesson, which is, is what those challenges were. You know, going into it kind of with you know a lot of optimism and with a you know kind of point of view that we're there's going to be challenges no matter what, and we're going to address them when they come to them. I think it. It, it made almost maybe help back then to not know what we were getting ourselves into in that regard. <laughs> and just, to, just to dive right in with that, you know, kind of a fresh point of view and, and address address the challenges as they as they came along. But but yeah, I think I think the biggest the biggest lesson was was one of um you know what what to focus on and what to not not to focus on. Yeah, you know, I guess when you don't know any better, it all feels important, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, where can people go to learn more, follow along, and connect with you yeah so the um, main place is endpointhealth.com our website we have a great uh, news and updates section there you can keep up to date on our latest press releases and scientific uh, publications and so on and for me personally diego a ray is my my hashtag there or my handle there at uh, at twitter and so feel free to to send me a message there or follow me and and we also post a lot about one health on my on my account there nice Thank you so much for joining us today, Diego. We appreciate your time. Hey, likewise. Pleasure being here and uh, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of From Lab to Launch, brought to you by Qualio. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and give the show a positive review. It really helps us out. For more information about Qualio, our guest today, or to be a guest on a future episode, please refer to the show notes. Until next time.